Today on the Scott Radley Show on 900 CHML. It is time to begin the brightest conversation in Hamilton Radio. That's what we call it. We strive. We try to hit those lofty targets every week. And so if I'm going to do that, you got to have someone who is able to hold up his end of the bargain and carry me or she. But this week it's a he. And he happens to be a guy who you know well from his time on the station from years before on CHCH, but even more relevant, he's got his own new show coming up in a few weeks. He's starting here called What Were You Thinking? Which I could say the same thing about choosing to come in with me on a Friday night. Jamie West. <laughs> nice to be here, Scott. How are you? What were you thinking? Yeah, what was I thinking? You know, I, th- I got me to thinking that might be a good title for a radio program because that's what my mother used to say to me as a kid all the time and I and I thought yeah that might make an interesting title but I may have backed myself into a corner because you got to find content that wraps around that you know just you'll be all right I think I I think there is a sufficient amount of gross stupidity in the world on a daily basis that you'll find plenty that actually what you just said is the entire impetus for this program. It's not that we're going to do... It's going to be on Saturday mornings at 10, by the way. Saturday mornings 10 to 11. And right here on CHML. Right here on CHML. And um, that's what I was thinking. Uh, not that we're going to do a, a stupid story, and that's going to be the, the whole hour is stupid stuff. Hopefully not. Hopefully you won't think it's stupid. But the impetus was really um, the the notion that there has never been a better time in the history of media to gather up things to discuss. Mm. Like absolutely. What's going on in the world, what's going on in society, what's going on here, what's going on south of the 49th. There is so much to talk about and there and it's important. And, and I'm going to make this argument. I think it's more important than ever that we talk about a lot of things. So what's what we're going to do on the show? And you know, one of the one of the things that I'm looking forward to about the show, and I, I, we're going to come back to it at the end of the yeah. show, I want to talk about it a little more, but one of the things I'm looking forward to is, you know, th- there are an awful lot of shows that you hear, and I, I mean, I try not to do it on this show, but you know, it happens, You br- that it just becomes either politicized or angry. And you know what? There's dumbness across the board in oh, yeah, every nobody's corner got the, the market world. corner. Nobody's, you know what? You can find <laughs> silliness and uh, point out the, the stuff regardless of... Uh, gender or religion or politics or nationality or whatever. But sometimes what were you thinking can be a really positive thing as well. And, you know, so we'll have perhaps a researcher on who has made some great scientific discovery or medical discovery and we'll say... And then drop the Petri dish and you say, what exactly, were you thinking? what were you thinking? Oh, no, okay, but, it was a good thing. Yeah, but what were you, you know, what were you thinking that led you to decide to hmm. study that? What were you thinking that led you to believe that by doing this research, this was going to be important and you were going to have some kind of a, a breakthrough. What Excellent. was the thinking that led to that? That's the idea. Uh, there is a story that came out today that I want to talk to you about because it, it, on November the 7th, there is going to be... Well, let me back up before I tell you what's happening on November the 7th. Back in 1939, there was a ship called the MS St. Louis. Some people know this story. It was. It had left, it had fled Europe during the Holocaust and had 907 Jews on board and it escaped, came across the Atlantic and got to Canada where for reasons that are somewhat still unclear, but it got turned away. They were not allowed to stay here and it got turned back and many of those people ended up dying as a result in the war. Wow. A bad, I mean, when I say bad, beyond bad, but for the sake of the discussion, a bad decision. Mm-hmm. A what were you thinking yeah, decision no kidding. Yeah. with no funny uptake from this. It was a terrible, terrible tragedy. It was a bad decision by somebody or some government agency or somebody. The the story is, I don't know the full details, but no theories on explanation. Well, there's a variety of different things, but secure. I don't know. There's all kinds of different theories. Terrible. I don't don't know what the actual basis was, but the, 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 the long and the short of it is this boat carrying all these 907 Jews escaping the Holocaust got turned around at Canada, sent back to Europe. Many of them died. So November 7th, the federal government is going to be having another official apology for its role, whatever the role was in this. And I'm listening to the idea that we're going to have an official apology. And I got two thoughts on this one. The first is this was clearly a horrible decision by somebody in the federal government of the time in 1930. What year was it? 39? Uh, 1939. 
All right, terrible, terrible decision by somebody or some people in 1939. That's unquestionable. No one's going to dispute that part of it. But I'm getting really fatigued with our government of any stripe constantly apologizing for stuff that nobody alive right now probably had anything to do with. There is not one person in government that had any role in this, and there's not one Canadian probably alive who had any role in this. And I'm getting fatigued with us constantly apologizing for stuff that we had nothing to do with. Well, there's two things <clears throat> on that. A- apologizing is is quite literally part of the Canadian brand. I mean, we walk around saying, I'm oh, sorry, 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 all the time. I'm not trying to be funny. No, but that's what we do. But the second part of it is, I don't, I, I don't mind if it's going to bring perhaps some measure of comfort to known relatives of people that were on that ship if like what is it what's the big deal what does it cost it to, to say if it's going to bring comfort to anybody who's left or associated with any of those people who were turned away and lost their lives then isn't it what's the big deal because it once again says publicly to canadians and to the world we suck we screwed up again. I, I, I don't I ju- think so. I, I do. I do. And I don't. And here's the other part. I don't think, and I, I question this. Mm-hmm. Do we have, do you have, do I have, does anyone have the moral authority to apologize for someone else's behavior? Can you apologize for, and, and give a legitimate apology for, if your grandfather had done something bad, where is your moral authority to apologize for that? Because it's not your behavior that was... It would be he that should have apologized or nobody. But he didn't, perhaps, and perhaps, um, you know, my DNA's flowing, uh, his DNA's flowing through me, and, you know, I bump into relatives of his who have heard the story multiple times at various family gatherings over the years, and to me it's a logical, humanly decent uh, thing to do for no other reason but to connect people i i and i disagree with you that it makes us what did you say how did you characterize well, this? it makes, it makes us, us sound like we suck or that we yeah made, we made horrible decisions I, I we've disag- done a terrible thing so i disagree entirely with that because i i think it does actually the opposite i think it reaffirms and and um supports the notion globally that canada cares about people and i think it's an it, i think doing something like that is sort of a way of sending that message back out to the world that this country has a tradition of caring for people that come from all other parts of this planet and that we have a caring humanitarian um, history, Um, not so much with our indigenous folks. Um, You know, we've got our... We apologize for that, though. Well, and rightfully so. And, And that's a very dirty, dark, horrible thing that happened in our country. Um, but by and large, you, I think you'd have to agree that Canada is viewed as a country that cares very much about human beings generally. And so I think it fits. Um, I think it fits the whole brand of Canada, if you will, and particularly in really crazy, uncertain, nutty times like we're living in. We're talking about a planned federal government official apology that will be made on November the 7th to the families, to the people uh, who were on board the MS St. Louis that left Europe in 1939 with 970 Jews on board fleeing the Holocaust for reasons that are historically, at least that I can find, unclear insofar as there's disagreement on it. Now, there are theories. Well, what are the theories? We haven't well, even one examined of, Okay, them. one of the theories simply was that uh, Mackenzie King, who was uh, prime minister, was trying to let it dock, but he couldn't convince his director of the immigration branch of the Federal Devel- Department of Mines mm. and Resources to allow them into the country. You would think that the prime minister would say, hey, they get to dock. Yeah, make it happen. That the bureaucrat doesn't go, uh, no thanks. Yeah, you would think, but anyway, it sounds like hogwash. Uh, Nineteen thirty-nine. Anyway, there's there's others, but this. So they many the ship got turned around. Two hundred and fifty-four of those nine hundred and seven eventually died in the Holocaust. But I go back to my point, Jamie, that with these official apologies, the problem I have with them, the biggest problem I have, 
is the idea that the person, an apology to me means something only if the person who committed the act deserving of the apology makes it. I don't, and as you were talking and I was thinking, we all remember that story from a year or two ago. It was a terrible, tragic, horrible story about that guy who drove drunk and killed the family, killed those four kids and the grandmother in Markham or wherever it was. And Mm -hmm. we've seen them on the news and it's just horrendous to watch this. Is it an apology? If that guy doesn't apologize, but his parents say, we're really sorry for what our son did. I think it means something. I think it means something. But but it's not a real apology because they didn't do anything wrong. I think it's a... We didn't do anything wrong. But I think it's a... What it is, it's it's a recognition of of loss to the the people that lost something or, or who were harmed. And it's a recognition by another human being that is close to perhaps the actual person who perpetrated the incident. And I think as human beings, that's probably enough for us at that particular moment. Yeah, it'd be nice if the guy who actually drove the car Where does that wrote end, me though? a letter. Where does he end? Like, and I'm not trying to be silly. If, think, jo- if Joseph Mengele's daughter, there. if Joseph Mengele's daughter or granddaughter says, I'm sorry for what my grandfather did, does that have any weight? I think it, I think it does. I think it, I think it makes people sit up and take notice. I, 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 I just do. I just think that. I just think that instinctively, um, it, it does have an effect on people, and I think it's a po- I think it's a positive effect. And it doesn't. Again, it's it doesn't cost anything. No, it doesn't cost anything except for the fact that there are. I mean, this is obviously an egregious situation that happened. This is an obvious, very big situation. Mm-hmm. But if you look through the history of literally any country that's been around longer than five minutes, there will be hundreds of things that have been done over the years that either were egregious or in their time were okay mm-hmm. or were seen as okay. But in later years, mm-hmm. we now, because of differences in our culture and society well, changes. Well, they're tearing down Johnny McDonald statues right? all over the country now. So where does this end? Like, wh- what What do we apologize for? I don't for? know. I don't, the, the, to answer the question, I don't know where it ends. Um, do we just keep apologizing for everything that we, in retrospect, now say were horrible things that I we think did? We ch- I think we, I think we look at history w- and I, I, obviously you can't, you know, I don't know. They have people sitting combing through every fact in history that's good, bad, or otherwise and deciding, well, that's in the bad pile. We've got to make an apology for that. Maybe they do. I don't know. Um, I think it's a good thing when something rises to the surface in an in a era where information is flowing faster than we can keep track of it all, faster than we can absorb it. A story like that, for whatever reason emerges and you know you're saying it's the government putting that forward to the people saying hey this happened and this is what we're doing that's fine uh keep keep going keep keep doing that if should you want to do it i don't have a problem with should it. the government apologize for well we saw uh, about a year ago the government apologized for any uh homosexual person who at the time using that word was charged with crimes back in the day we are now changing the drug laws so in, in five years or 10 years, should we have a government stand up and apologize to anybody whose life was affected by being convicted of marijuana possession laws that may have prevented them from having a full life? Well, that's because a- we now see things differently. We're more, uh, we're brighter and clearer headed and we know this is not a problem. No, because that, those were clear, um, you know, statutes that were on the books. The law is the law and you follow but the so law. the anti-gay laws. They were statutes that were on the book. I'm not, uh, you can argue for whatever, but they you. were statutes that were on the book. And we said, well, we're sorry that we shouldn't have done that. And if we're saying now marijuana is fine, marijuana is legal, we should it's clearly a good question. be apologizing for anyone who was convicted. You yeah. couldn't cross the border for 50 years because you had a drug possession charge on your record. We're really, really sorry for that. We, I, we, we're sorry. I think that's a, I think that's a tough one for me personally, because I'm, I'm vehemently anti-drug. Like I am so venomous and vitriolic when it comes to the damage that the drug trade has done to society. Um, lots of arguments could be made for legal alcohol and the damage it's done too, and gambling and uh, this, that, and the other thing and too many hamburgers and you can keep going. I think you can keep going on, on any of these things. I think they just all have to be 
you know, looked at one at a time and, you know, making apologies for things that were clearly wrong is not a bad thing. Is there any part? We only have a minute, less than a minute and left. Yeah, here. go ahead and apologize. If you're right, if they, we legalize marijuana and go ahead. Do, are you, are you cynical you enough to think that any of these apologies have anything to do with politic, scoring political points? Oh, listen, every time the government does anything, it's about scoring political points. Which then makes it a hollow apology, regardless of what government's well, in power. I, I see regardless it, of what I government's see it in as, power. I see it as a, um, an un, uh, sort of as a necessary bit of, you know, on top of something that's decent. You know what I do wonder There's about? There's always a price to pay. You know what I do wonder about? We've got to go to a break. I do wonder by the rules of parliament, and I'd, I'd love to look into this. They're going to do this in parliament. If you did it outside, because you have free freedom to tell say, the truth. No, you have freedom oh. to say basically anything without the fear of libel laws within the walls of parliament. If you did this outside on the steps of parliament, could the families then sue you for the fact that you did this and you're admitting it outside? I'd love to know if that is why they do it in the House of Commons. I don't know. I don't know the answer Let's to that. get some lawyers on. You're listening to the Scott Radley Show podcast on 900 CHML. Jamie, you and I have both been, uh, Jamie West in studio, by the way. Uh, You and I have both been out of the classroom, at least as students for a few years now. We've both had kids that have gone through. You still have some kids that are in classrooms, so you're a little closer to this than I am. I'm minor in university. Um, There is a move afoot in some places in Canada, in Ottawa specifically, as well as other cities, that teach school boards and teachers are saying, you know what? Uh, I, my name is Mr. Radley. I'll be your teacher for this year. No, 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 no. I'm Scott. Call me Scott. Teachers are being told, don't, don't go by Mr. or Mrs. Just use your first name. Let's keep it informal. Let's are make you it, kidding me? We want the students to feel comfortable and feel like they're friends with the teachers so they can trust the teachers and have a better relationship with the teachers. No. And I feel like my disdain for this my immediate blanching at this is just old man syndrome but i don't think it is no it's it's called it's called respect and having boundaries and you set the boundary by the formality of how you address the person that's operating the classroom and who is teaching you the lesson it's always been that's a long-standing tradition it's always been that makes sense our society that it's not a it's not a caste system. It's not an elitist system. The person who is holding a position of authority over you yes. gets whether you like them, don't like them, agree with them, disagree with them. They get the benefit of Mister or Ms. or Mrs. or Miss because that's yeah. you know if you if you or like, your your honor or Ms. look there there are president people, or prime minister and you would be among them. There are lots of people who just are disgusted by everything that happens south of the border in the Oval Office. Fair enough. But you know what? Those people, most of them, I think even if you bumped into Donald Trump today, you would still, out of respect for the office, call him Mr. President. You wouldn't go, hey, Donnie. That's not, you You just, even in that extreme case, you would do that. And that's because it's a position. It's not the person. The teacher in these classrooms, this is why it bugs me, the teacher essentially is irrelevant. The person who is the teacher, not the teacher itself, the person who holds that role is irrelevant. They are a teacher, therefore they deserve the honorific that you deserve to call them by a respectful title. I, th- I look at this and I go, what are we doing? Well, it's, it's nuts. It's, it, that, that whole notion is totally crazy and it, and it ties to a larger problem which is a generational parenting problem as far as I see it. And this gets into your old man syndrome stuff. And I'm not going to apologize (laughs) back to the last segment for this. Younger parents are going a little nutto. They really are. They are handing way too much power. And this is, I know it's a bigger discussion, handing way too much power over to kids it's not good for them. You know, it's not good to put power into the hands of young kids who don't understand boundaries. They're there to learn that stuff. That's part of it. Part of the Mr. Radley um, 
title is learning about boundaries and learning about where lines are drawn. That's what we, therefore we're teaching kids that they don't live in a chaotic environment that they control. Kids love boundaries. A professor in the University of Ottawa's Faculty of Education said this, students and teachers have to feel comfortable. So what he's saying, and then he goes on to explain that you want the kids to just feel like they're talking to their buddy if it's their teacher, that not is the insane. person who's in a position of authority. We don't want authority, Jamie. We don't want authority. No, I know. I know we don't. We want we want every single human being to have it, its own um, system of governance, um, its its own rights, um, you know, valued above everybody else's. That is what leads to... No, oh, no, we, we say we don't. We say everyone should be equal, but your equal and my equal are not equal because I want my equal to trump your equal if, in fact, they were to be a tie. Well, my rights and my desires and my needs, of course, are going to we'll be more win. important than yours. Yeah, absolutely. Right? We're equal, but not really equal. Well, therein, therein lies a big part of the problem. Our inability um, to, and, and our unwillingness even to teach children, I, I harp on this all the time, basic social skills, basic manners, uh, basic awareness, awareness that there are other human beings on the planet that share the space with them, that have to be acknowledged, that you have to work with. We have to take a break. We're going to come back with this one because, again, it goes to me to a respect thing. Totally. And if we eliminate the idea of the first evidence or the first injection of respect into your life as a kid, how do you ever get that back then? If you've removed it and said, we don't, it doesn't matter who the person is, they're just Bob or they're just Jane. How do you once again reintroduce that to a kid who now is 15, 16, 18, and they're going into the workforce? You're listening to the Scott Radley Show podcast on 900 CHML. Even now... Before we get back to this, even now, if you bump into one of your high school teachers or your elementary teachers, can you bring yourself to call them by their first name? I have, I have talked to and bumped into high school teachers since years later. And I still, Lori, Lori Lemmer comes to mind. I, I talk to her on Facebook every once in a while. Ms. Lemmer. I can't call her I try and it's really hard <laughs> we're not that far separated in years now I can't do it it's just she's Miss Lemmer yeah hey I think yeah I think a lot of us feel that way I I'm unusual in that I I have a, a ongoing relationship with a teacher that began in high school that's that's lived all of these years this relationship that morphed into a friendship uh, after high school but I will say this she was her name was Doris Ann Williamson. She taught at Glendale. There's people listening, no doubt, who have had her as a teacher. She was fantastic. She's still around. Um, not teaching, though. And she, but she was one of the, what what you would consider, one of the cool teachers. She was the teacher that, uh, she was a drama teacher, arts teacher. So you would sneak back behind the stage, and she had an office back there, and the kids would go during their spare periods in between classes. And the ones that smoked would sneak a smoke. And you got to remember, this is back in the early 80s. And uh, drink coffee, and she was like a beatnik, you know, like and she a hippie. She was kind of, it was okay to call her DA. But I remember kids doing that, and I didn't feel comfortable doing that, and I didn't. I still called her the formal name until after high school. There's a lot of people, and, and I'm reading these stories about this. There's a lot of people. Surprising to me, because we do live in a society now that is becoming less and less structured and less and less formal, but still a lot of people saying, wait a second. I'm okay with a lot of the breaking down of the walls, but there is a basic respect involved in a teacher-student relationship. You are not equals. You aren't and, equals, and therefore you shouldn't pretend to right. be equals. And traditionally, traditionally, would you not agree that school, at one time anyway, was considered a bit of an extension of the home in terms of the structure of authority? So... The teacher was the parent while you weren't there, exactly. or at least they held that yes. mantle. Yes, they did. And so, you know, would, yeah, you, that's would you allow your kid to, to call you Scott? No, but Jamie, you know, you bring up an interesting point because how many times, if we had a bunch of teachers call us right now, 
the first thing they would tell us is nowadays, if a teacher disciplines a kid, I don't mean beats them with a paddle. Yeah, I mean, no, just no. the parent will be yeah. on the phone saying, what are you doing? Them. What are you doing? That's my kid. You don't discipline my kid. Don't redirect my kid. And that breaks down the walls as well and makes it so that if you're a kid and you go to school, the teacher has to be an authority figure and a respect figure. And that puts pressure on the teachers too. They have to uphold that level. Someone wrote in on the comments of this story on one of the websites I'm looking at. And it's a fascinating point that they made. And that is, if you watch, there's a new documentary out about Mr. Rogers. Is, uh, won't you be my screen? neighbor? It's yeah, and it's coming out, and it's uh, yeah. Won't you be my? I think it's called "Won't You Be yeah, My yeah. Neighbor." I've seen trailers for it, and they point out not one kid ever called him Fred. Yeah, but yeah. he had the best rapport with those kids that you could possibly. You don't need to take away the respect or the division in where you are standing wise. He's the adult. He's the teacher. You're the kid. You respect. And Mr., you know, it's a very, or Miss, it's a very simple thing, but it's a very potent thing. Well, it is. Again, it's about, you know, drawing boundaries and and the the line of respect. And, And it ties, again, to another theme. We didn't really touch on it. This strange desire for parents to view their children as straight extensions of themselves and view their kids as um, friends. Mecha- f- friends, mechanisms to satisfy their, the adults, emotional needs. It doesn't work that way. It's not supposed to work that way. It's supposed to work exactly the opposite way in order to raise the next generation. But look what's going on. What would you allow, and we got only have a few seconds here. Mothers who want to be their best friends of their daughters. and Would you allow your daughters right now... To call you Jamie? No, not at all. Not not a chance. But why not? So so my question, not to you, but to those people who would want their kids to call their teachers by their first names, would you be okay with them calling you by great, your first name? Great question. And if you say no, then why are you wanting it to be that with the teachers? And if you say yes, you're completely screwed up. <laughs> you really are. Rethink I'll agree this, to that. Because you're completely screwed up. You're listening to the Scott Radley Show podcast on 900 CHML. We are desperately looking for skilled trades workers in this country. There are hundreds, thousands of jobs for people who have skilled trades Mm -hmm. that we can't fill. And yet every kid who finishes high school, we are shoving them into the universities or like putting them into a Japanese subway car where you're pushing them in and then (laughs) shutting the doors. And we're saying, you got to go to university. You have to go to university. It's all university is the only respectable way to go. And you're looking saying, but all these jobs, they come out of university, people can't get jobs with their degrees often, but all these jobs and Jamie, why? And I want to bring it up. I wanted to ask you about this. As soon as I was talking to him, I said, we're going to do this with Jamie. Why are we so bound and determined that everybody, I'm not dumping on universities. Universities are fantastic. Yeah. But why have we come to the conclusion? Why are we bound and determined that everybody has to go to university regardless of who they are or what their interests are? Because that's what we're doing to them. I got a simple answer for that. What? I, that um, it, it ties to what I said a little bit in the last segment about how parents view their kids. I'm arguing that parents view their young children as, as it, literally as extensions of themselves, um, whereby that extension must feed them, feed their ego, feed their emotional needs. Take it up a notch to kids that are 17, 18, 19 years so of age. So university feeds your ego more than saying my kid's an apprentice plumber. 100% it does. It's all about the looking goodism. It's all about the keeping up with the Jonesism. It's all about it's all about what's on the Facebook feed, you know? Here's my kid going going off to university, you know? There no he is ever, in his dorm room. No one ever posts the uh, plumber butt yeah. crack photo of <laughs> your son right. fixing the pipe That's under right. the sink. That's right. And I I sit back and 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 definitely feel that um, we do a great disservice uh, to a lot of uh, young people because even as they go through the educational system, we completely, almost completely fail to, that's the time you got to recognize people as individuals is when they're literally going through the education system and you've got to identify uh, those people and how they learn and what their aptitudes are. We need to do a better job with that so that we can stream people into things that A, they have the aptitude for, and B, they have the attitude for, and, and desire for. for. Yeah. Exactly. So those three things. But for whatever reason, we're still 
doing it the wrong way here. We're doing EQAO evaluations on kids and thinking that those results have anything to do with how intellectually bright kids are. Those are tests for teachers. Yes. That's oh, what absolutely. they are. Absolutely they are. My kids still say, oh, I've got the EQAO test. I always say, relax. It, it really doesn't matter what your result is on the EQAO. Keep doing your best. I'd love to know what would happen at but a school it's a test if for the your kids teacher. were to rise up together in a lame <laughs> Miz style <laughs> storming the barricades like and say, that. you know what? We're going to, all the kids in grade six, we're all going to get zero on the EQAO. <laughs> no one is going to answer a single question that we're going to hand in. What would the school do? I'd love to know what would happen. And well, they'd have to fudge the marks no, but it wouldn't just be like the they school. do all the time. It wouldn't be the school. See, I, like, I'm not, for me, the, as you're saying, the EQAO the is looking to see, is the, are the teachers doing their jobs? If they all got zero, the government's not going to say, okay. well, the teachers clearly got them all okay. zeros. I'm going off track like I always do when you bring up a topic. But I, run with we, it. Okay, because uh, so so we've kind of st- I've answered your question about what what I think the, the the difficulty is. You know, the looking goodism and all of that. But I just sort of touched on this other thing about fudging marks. That's another thing that really bugs me. And that and I know you've discussed this on the show. And I think we have when fudging I've been a guest on the show. Well, the, the teachers are afraid to give out marks that are going to be scrutinized by parents and seen as less than acceptable to me and it's not that the child didn't try hard enough or or didn't achieve the a it's that the teacher didn't give the child the a it was only a b plus so you're a victim not a a victim exactly author of your own misfortune exactly but we've created this. It's a cycle now because we've the parents have put so much pressure on the, he on got the teachers. A, I should get and the teachers then get in trouble with the school boards. And so the school board has said, well, we're not going to fail any kids because then you're just going to have the teachers who are beating down the door. Right. And when the parents come screaming, the teachers union circles the wagons around the teachers and we go from there. And I don't get me wrong. I, I love teachers. I'm for. But I always feel like with teachers, honestly, that. And it shouldn't feel this way. It shouldn't feel like a lottery. It shouldn't feel like, what oh, do you mean? well, so, I mean, every year when my kids as go- As far as getting a good teacher right, or a bad teacher? when my kids go back to school, I think, oh, I hope, well, I hope they get a good teacher. Why should I have to hope they get a good teacher? They, all of the teachers should be good teachers. And there's, there's lots out there listening right now. Go, we are all good teachers. You know better than that. You know you're not well, all good. I'll put it this way, Jamie. There, if the if there are teachers out there who are saying we're all most good teachers, are good. By the way, most are good. But they are. You and they work hard. Apply the same standards to your profession that you would apply to every other profession. There are good people in those professions. Absolutely. And teachers are not special in that. That they are not divinely no. imbued with a special teaching gift. They there are great teachers and there are bad teachers, like every right. other job. But there are some things in our society that are more, I would argue, are more important than sure. other things. Yes. Education and healthcare are the two things that are... But there are good doctors are, and bad doctors. I know, that's my point. My point is that we, we've, we, on both sides, healthcare and education, we as a society have got to make sure the checks and balances are tighter there at all times. We can't, and I don't think, I really don't think we're doing it with education. And I think there's a lot of people working well, in healthcare who would say, hey, man, come over here and see how broken this system I is, I don't too. know what... First of all, I don't know... If, We're a land the, of broken systems. Do the doctors... You're married to a doctor. Do doctors yeah. have a union of any kind? They don't have a union, do they? Okay, so... No. But teacher, the teachers' Associations. union... The teachers' union is probably the most powerful union in our province. So to... And that's to, a problem. But to try to fix things then becomes a massive issue. And here, let me go back because again, I believe, I I believe wholeheartedly that most teachers and I've always, anytime we've come to this discussion, I've always said, I don't believe that 90% of the time we get into a strike talk or we're getting teachers who are being obstinate. This is not the teachers. This is their union that's causing the grief. 100%. The teachers, I believe most teachers are good people who are well-meaning, who want to be good at their job Absolutely. and who are d- dedicated to doing that. I, I have no problem and saying that. I've seen all the evidence of that. All the crap that goes on is the union dropping yep. crap onto the teachers and the teachers have to wear it yep. then. Yep, they do. But 
let me go back to okay. we're, we're taking where we are here and go back to where we started. What would happen? And I'll use you as an example, although I know that you would handle it differently, but just for the sake of the discussion. I've been made an example no, many no. times. You have a, you have, you don't, but let's say you have a 12-year-old son who is in school. He'd be in grade seven or grade eight at this point, And he's not really all that academically gifted. Mm-hmm. All right. Mm-hmm. So I'm your kid's teacher. We're meeting for parent teacher. And I say, Jamie, you know what? We're Mr. West. <laughs> Look at you. Based, based on our last segment, it'll be Mr. West. If you Show some our respect. La- if you missed our last Mr. segment, Radley. go to the 900 CHML webpage at the end and you can find the podcast there and catch what we did in the first hour. You were so saying, I say, Mr. Radley? Mr. West, yes. um, your son, you know what? I really think that you should be encouraging him to start thinking about a career in the trades. I think he could be really great at being an electrician or a plumber. He's good with his hands, but he's not as strong in the academics. You know as well as I do what would happen if I were to have that conversation with 90% of parents. That would not be taken as a me, the teacher, genuinely trying to help your no, child. It's what's wrong with you. Why aren't you, uh, you know, why aren't you doing more heavy or lifting to call- get this kid up to speed? Or you're it's calling- your fault. So you're calling my kid an idiot? Yeah. You're saying my kid is stupid? That's, you, <laughs> yeah. It wouldn't yeah, exactly. be taken. So we've somehow, and again, goes back to the point. We've somehow determined that university is the sign that you have succeeded as a parent and as a student and the trades are the fallback for the morons, which we know not to be true, but that seems to be the well, position that, we've that, taken. There's a problem right there. There's a problem right there. Um, somewhere along the way, um, we, we've been talking about respect all night. We have lost a respect for people that um, work really, really hard with their hands and it, it wasn't like that back in the day. Um, Hamilton was built on those Exactly. People. The industrious, ambitious city. Um, you know, f- our fathers, grandfathers, uncles um, uh, did a lot of that work. It, I, I, and I'm before sh- that, I mean, farmers, everybody started. Well, where, did, where did this, did this come off the rails around the free to be you and me thing? Like in the early seventies? Like I, I, I would like somebody with a historical perspective. Well, there's a, there's another part of education this. education to chime in. There's, there's another part of this that comes into it. And I don't know the answer to your question. There's a, there's another part that we touched on last we, night with, yeah. with this guest. And that was universities have also become corporations unto themselves. They, in order to keep the wheels churning, yep. they have to keep the tuitions coming in. Yeah. And so they need bodies and seats. They they don't want to raise the standards that would weed out the people who shouldn't be there in the first place just to take the cream of the cream to go into those. They want everybody to come there. And like, and like fitness places, they don't care is you've come in and you've paid your first term tuition. They don't care if you bomb out at Christmas, they'll bring somebody else in and they just pocketed a whole bunch of money. If you never show up to class and they didn't have to teach you a thing. It is a, it, to me, it's a, it's a difficult situation. It, it really is. It's a troubling situation because if you are cut out, if you are someone who should be going to university, you should be going to university. There's yep. no question about yep. it. Universities, if you want to get ahead, most experts will say university for those capable and cut out for it are the place to go. But not everybody is cut out for university. Absolutely. And here's another thing. Just thinking here. How, here's another thing. How about we get into the business of actually really trying to prepare our kids for their futures at various stages of their lives instead of abdicating all of the influence to social media, to YouTube, to the teachers, and do this with them. How about having a simple conversation with them when they get to grade seven You've used that as an example. That's middle school, you know, two years before you go to high school and then four and out. Starting to realize who they are a little bit. Exactly. And having ongoing conversations about their aptitudes, attitudes, and desires or passions, as you said, um, where their future is concerned. Why shouldn't we be telling our kids when they're in grade seven, start really thinking about what you are excited about? about and doing, what do you whether love to that's do? something to do yeah. with your hands, whether you like to write, whether you like to paint, whether you, whatever it is, and right? you may not know. You may not know, but start thinking about it. 
Start thinking about why certain things that you're doing, maybe in school, things you're learning in school at this stage of the game, because you've gained a fair amount of independence. You've been at it for six years. Start thinking about what are the things when, when you're in school every day in the learning environment that you like? You know, we know, know some people don't like doing English. Some people don't like doing math, whatever. But start thinking about it. That's part of the problem. We don't think ahead as a nation. I don't. Think. Uh, no, no, I, I agree with you. And we have to change the thought process. I, I bet you that if we were to ask people to tell the absolute truth who are listening, if we were to ask people, and, and you and I can answer the same question, if we were to ask people for the absolute truth, if you've been to your kid's high school graduation, and many of us have been to a high school graduation, and at almost every one of these high school graduations, they will have the kid come up and now, you know, and uh, James West. And you, with your mortarboard on and your gown, you walk right. across the stage. And often, at many schools, they will say a sentence or two about what you are doing next. And they will say, James West. Disc who jockey. Is, who, is, <laughs> who is heading to <laughs> Queen's University for a degree in yeah. business administration. Basket weaving. Whatever. But if we were to ask the honest response from people listening who have been to one of these high school graduations, when the guy, and it's often a guy, not always, but it's often a guy, walks across the stage and they say, James West, who will be going to work on his family's farm next year. Crickets, crickets, crickets. Well, that kid must or, be... Or a... Oh. Well, yeah, that, that kid must be <laughs> dim. You, you that, a, he must not have got into school. He must not oh. be... <laughs> he, Which is insane what? because that's great. The guy's going to be a business owner. He's going to be a business owner. He's probably going to take over the farm someday. He's going to work hard, but he's going money. To... Let's talk about money because a lot of the people the thing the the perception is if you're going to university, you're fast tracking to money. Sometimes that isn't always the case. Sometimes, sometimes it is. But, Maybe often, but. But there's a lot of people who get out of university with $100,000 or more in student debt and no job, and they go work as a waiter, and you know what? And the guy that's the electrician gets all kinds of work and starts his own business and writes his own ticket. And that's not, again, just to clarify, that's not to say we're pushing only for people to go into the trades. Not that at no, all. No, it's about identifying exactly. everything in the during the educational process. That's... that's a big bugaboo with me is we send them to school and we go to sleep. We, we, it's like he's in, something in the microwave. In. They're in the oven. Yeah. The, well, maybe that's a bad, <laughs> maybe that's a bad, uh, yeah, we don't want that. Don't no. come home from university and say <laughs> yeah. something's in the oven. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that is not why we're sending Forget you to school. Forget I said that. So, but, but we, we, we put them on a self timer, let's say. Okay. And Come I'll home when you're done. Well, I'll see you in a few. I'll, I'll talk to you about school and stuff in a few years. Uh-uh. No, 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 no. You know? Yeah, we have to change that and we have to change our attitudes around it because you are not, even if you are doing exactly what you say, if all growing up along the way, you are led to believe directly or indirectly that if I choose to follow that interest I have of working with my hands, I'm not very bright. That is a wrong yeah, thing totally. for people to... It's, anyway. It's totally I've, wrong. I found out a fascinating discussion with this guest. I think it was yesterday. Uh, Ken Coates was his name. Only because our society has... It's so ingrained now. It is so ingrained. And I think we somehow have to un-ingrain it. And I wish people would stop. Again, this is tied to that theory of mine about the emotional extension of oneself. Stop for crying out loud. Stop trying to live your life vicariously through mm. your kid. Stop m trying to program your kid to do the things that you want them to do that may be unmet needs on your part or unmet dreams on your part. Try to recognize that your child is a unique individual. Yeah, they've got your DNA in them and they're going to probably have some personality traits of yours. That's fine. And maybe look a little bit like you too, but recognize that they're a unique individual and try to nurture the unique individual part and get off of the whole thing about, as long I, get, as, I get my second chance to make it. No, as long as they're not in jail, you're doing fine. You and it. even if they are, I suppose, under certain <laughs> circumstances. You, uh, you know what? I just thought of something though, as we wrap this segment up. The last provincial government, I don't know if the current provincial government is, I don't know if the one before that is, but I know the last one, the Kathleen Wynne government had at one point 
pro- proposed, promised, pushed for free university for everybody. They wanted to be able to have everyone get the loans and the... Uh, I don't recall, and I want to look this one up. I don't recall if that same offer was extended to apprenticeships that will pay for... See, yeah, that's, there's, a good, that's a good point. There's where yeah. you make it so that it's not, again... We want everybody to go to university. No, no. We want you to choose what you're going to do and we will facilitate. If we're going to use government money for this, we will facilitate whatever path towards an employable future we can do for you. Not just one. Not just one. You're listening to the Scott Radley Show podcast on 900 CHML. There is a poll that is, uh, it's not out in the last few days. It was, it was a little while back. It actually came just before the legal situation that happened this week with the Trans Mountain Pipeline or last week, whenever the Trans Mountain Pipeline court case was determined. The reason I bring this up is not to get into the whole Trans Mountain thing because it's boring and dull for most people and we've been down this road and we all know all the stuff. Including me. However, what I felt, what I want to ask you about, because I find this really interesting. In this poll that was done, I think in about June, maybe July, 60% of Canadians felt that building this pipeline was in the national interest and should be done. They were in support as a important national project to make this like happen. Like the railroad. Like the railroad. When should, in our country or any civilized democratic country, when should majority rule? As opposed to the courts, as opposed to the, the special interests who would be lobbying against something, when should simple majority simply rule regardless in a democratic society? If 60% of people say, should that be enough to say, we don't care what the courts say, we don't care what the orca saving people want, 60% of Canadians want this, boom, it's done. When should that happen? Yeah, I'm a believer in that. <laughs> You're asking me for specific examples of but, when. I mean, but it should be just 50? Well, I mean, a referendum would have been 50 no, plus I one, think, Quebec would have left. I think it's got to be 60, and I base that on what I know about uh, weather sciences. And you're saying to yourself, what? If if the weather forecast is calling for a 40% chance of, of showers... It's, it's sunny. It's, it's not going to happen. If it's 60, it's going to rain. So 60 is a, a definitive... I think that's a definitive, majorative number to go on. So, yeah, and I think apply that wherever you can and as often as you can. So, because judges aren't always the best people to judge things. Well, they're applying a law, not applying public sentiment. They're interpret, a lot of times they're interpreting Interpreting the law through the filter of their subjective. Yes, human position. Human position. See, I'm looking at this thinking, should we be doing more? In this country, we do have a Supreme Court, and we don't think of our Supreme Court as being activist like we often hear in the States, but it is. If you look back at a number of cases recently, it is. we do have an activist Supreme Court in a lot of ways. I couldn't name one Supreme no. Court justice. Well, that's, that's part of the thing. We don't think of our Supreme Court. Yeah. It's not front of mind, but we and have- People you, in the red robes and the sables yeah, around there. If neck. you think of- the, the, some of the cases recently, we do have an activist Supreme Court, much more than we like to think. And I'm starting to think, should we in this country, because we've got more than the majority, far more saying this is an important thing for the economy of our country. Should we every year, I don't know if people would do it every year, every four years at the, at the federal election time, do like they do in California or Colorado, whatever, sometimes and have issues on the ballot that are binding votes. We leave the courts out. We leave the special interests out. Do you support, should we build this pipeline here? Yeah. Boom. Yeah. I like that idea. Should we this, and then do we go with, it should happen. Now, I don't know. I don't know how you get around the court. Uh, cause we do live in a law abiding society. Yeah, but we'll just, but we're just playing around here. It, 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 uh, with, but it seems as though with the idea of it. It seems as though when you have a number that is this high and 60%, I mean, it's a 20% gap over the the naysayers, if that, because there could be some who are undecided as well. It could be 60% in favor and 20% opposed with 20% who don't know. 60% of what though? Well, of this poll that was done. So it's plus or How minus. How many people? I don't know. Right? So th- know. That, that's where you got to. But that's why if it comes to a and, referendum. And, and even put, votes. If 3,000 people show up and 60% say, put it through, does that... Make it go through? Or do you have to have 60% of the actual population? See, because Jamie, this is where I always, whenever people say, yeah, well, this government was elected, sure, but it was only 40% of the people came out and voted. This is when I always say, that is the most 
fallacious argument because Why? every person was entitled to come out and vote. And if you chose not to, then I don't care what you your point is. You lose view. then. You were okay. entitled to have a vote. So if only 30% of Canadians come out and 80% yeah. of them vote for this, and then you say, hey, 70% of Canadians You had your didn't, chance. You could have. You could have. You better get out and vote then. Better m- mobilize your people to come out and vote. Strong argument to be made for that. I, I'm, I look at this and I think... I'm we, sick of the lack of engagement and I'm sick of well, th- three people actually, you know, g- really governing the direction of how we do things. That's a whole... That's three hours all by itself. Yeah. What were you thinking? What were you thinking there? Never for the show? No, that's, that's, that's Shameless perfect. plug. That's perfect for the show. What were you thinking? I, I Saturdays at 10 a.m. starting on September 15th here on CHML. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> we do have... It is a it is a problem in the states and here that we have now reached a point in North American society when you are when it is not the government that governs, it is the Supreme Court of both countries that now, for all intents and purpose purposes, governs. They are the unelected voices, very few that determine the direction of both countries. Well, in the case of the United States, that might not be a bad idea for a while, even though, you know, did Kavanaugh get confirmed today? I didn't hear. I don't know. I didn't hear. Anyway, Kavanaugh aside, they're always, everybody's always afraid of who's going in. And... But you're never, here's the thing. We have people on both sides. still have to follow the law. You have people on both sides. Like the, the Democrats point to Kavanaugh and the other Republicans and say, look at those. They are judges that come in with an opinion and they are judges that are not being objective because they have a political stance. But the Republicans then point and say, yeah, but Ruth Bader Ginsburg is the same just on the other side. Every judge has a point of view and has a leaning. I thought it was interesting that Ginsburg's law clerk uh, stood up and basically kind of spoke in favor of Kavanaugh and said these kind of wild arguments are being made about Kavanaugh were made about Ruth Bader Ginsburg in her time as well. So, yeah, I mean... But we've got a case now where in both countries, it is the courts that are governing, not the people and not the people that the people elect. And so you can have the federal government buy the Trans Mountain Pipeline and say, we are going to build this. And a very small group of people says, no, you're not. No, you're not. Yeah, and if they've got the funding to oh, I'm litigate. talking about the court. I'm talking oh, about the court. Oh, I'm sorry. But, yeah. but yeah, but the people, yeah, people have brought it to the court, but it's a very small, the court has said, no, you can't do what you have been elected to do. Which is govern. And you can't do what the majority of the country wants you to do. But I'm still, I'm okay. I, I like that. To me, it's, it's a, it's the last stop kind of thing. It's, it's a real, it's a real safety net kind of thing because Look at the quality. I mean, we're, I know I'm getting in, off on another tangent here, but look at the quality of, of leadership that we have and politicians and sitting MPs and sitting MPPs and arguably p- party leaders. It's pretty, it's getting pretty ugly. Which is why I am growingly, increasingly such a fan of the referendum idea. Yeah. I would be fine if you put 20 referenda or referendi, I'm not sure what the proper Latin <laughs> on is. On a ballot. On the ballot. And you know what? Yeah. And if people choose not to vote, too bad, so sad. Yep. But you have the option. And let's throw these things to the people and say, this is what we're going to do. And I know that people are still going to be able to sue to try and stop it and take it to the Supreme Court. And if it's, I suppose if it's grotesquely flying in the face of the laws of the land, you can stop it. But I think it becomes much harder if the will of the people is clearly defined and you've set a number to say, I'll give you, I'll go even higher than your 60. I'll say 66% that it has to be two thirds plus one. 66% of Canadians vote for this. It will pass. I, I, I'd be fine with that. And then living with that because. Yeah, me too. You know what? There are political things that are done that are wildly unpopular that we scratch our head and say, why are you doing this? This would in a lot of ways remove it. People around Hamilton are going to blanch at this one. I am fully in favor. I'm growing more in favor. Maybe not fully of in LRT favor, of an LRT oh. referendum. Oh, referendum of an LRT. Oh. Re- let's solve. Jump the gun there. Let's I solve react. this once and for all. 
Let's, <laughs> let's, let's deal with this once and for all. Let's have the people decide what they want. Do they want, because again, if we are going to take the, the perfect question, if we're going to take the current government at its word and you can decide whether you want to or not, but if they're saying that billion dollars is there for you for LRT or something else, if we believe them, and again, you can decide whether you believe them or not, but if we do, let's take it to the people and say, what do you want to do with this? And then let's be done with it. Let's not keep this thing going forever and ever. Yeah. And go to Kitchener and look at how ugly the landscape is and well, how ugly the it's LRT is. It's hard to tell is. because it hasn't started yet in Kitchener. They're still waiting for the trains. All the infrastructures. And I wondered why I didn't see any trains when I drove through. I saw yeah. all the ugly infrastructure. The infrastructure. Well, and maybe it'll look nicer. It is ugly. The, maybe, it it'll work, maybe it'll look better when the trains are actually running. Right now, it's just an empty... You sad, optimistic dreamer, Bradley. <laughs> you sad, <laughs> truly pitiful, optimistic dreamer. You're listening to the Scott Radley Show podcast on 900 CHML. There are a number of um, politicians who are not running for municipal council again. Uh, and they're either going off for different jobs or whatever else. Should they, because at least one, maybe more, but at least one has given an endorsement of a person that he would like to be his successor. Should no. a politician that is no. stepping away from the council table be offering endorsements Absolutely and handpicking not. or trying to handpick their successor? <clears throat> Absolutely not. That's, that's just, uh, uh, to me, that's, that's arrogant. Um, it's, it's. It's just inappropriate. How is it different from a different from anyone else giving? Because they're a, they're a citizen. They're allowed. It's to... different because they occupied the seat, and they're the immediate um, person exiting the seat. That's that's what makes it different. I t- see. I, I tend to agree that way, and then I think to myself, yeah, but why should they not be allowed to have a point of view on this one? Well, why they, should they, they not? They can have a point of view at the ballot box secretly, like everybody else. But when you've held that seat and you're stepping down from it, you just shut up and go away. Would you, if you, I suppose if you're the person who's getting the endorsement, probably you would want that endorsement. On the flip side, it does clarify for those who either liked you or didn't like you. Oh yeah. <laughs> right. It, it, it could be, a, it definitely be a, draws lines. No, but it could be a huge help for you if or, you're a popular, it could if be you, a disaster with your base or it tells everybody who doesn't want you in that seat or didn't vote for you don't vote for that person. I mean, I don't know. Would you want that if you were the person? No, I wouldn't. I would, um, I would not, I would not want a public endorsement by whoever was leaving the seat, even if they were of the same political stripe as I had, I, I wouldn't accept that endorsement. I'd just be on that principle. Would you, what about if it was a different, now this is where it gets even more tricky. What about if it was a different level of government? Would you Same. want, if you were a, a, a person who either had a right-wing view or left-wing view, conservative or liberal, would you want someone from the NDP or the conservative party provincially, federally saying, hey, vote that person in? No. I just think it's, and I, I almost think that it should be, it, it, I feel so strongly about it, I think, I almost think it should be built into the election rules. Is, is it a rule? Is it? No, you're, you're, you're free had, to do that. We talked See, about I, it this week. I think week. that should be prohibited. We talked about it this week with, um, that should be prohibited. I think it was, Larry, was Larry Deany. We talked to somebody we talked to this week. Uh, there is no, with Peter Grafe uh, from okay, McMaster, yeah. there is no rule that says that, for example, the NDP could not put an entire slate of candidates up in every ward and say, here is our slate in the municipal election. If you want an NDP style municipal government, if you want them to work with us, here are the people. There's nothing that says you couldn't. Now they couldn't funnel money into them. They couldn't pay them. It couldn't be an officially party funded thing, but they could identify the people they wanted and hope that you would vote for them or conservative or liberal or green party or anyone else. Well, you know, I'm sitting here thinking that's probably going on in the background anyway. If it isn't, if it isn't going on above ground, it's going on perhaps, you know, underground or in the background. Yeah. And I, I just don't think, sorry, I just don't think, I don't think it's principled to have anybody who occupied the seat endorsing somebody who might be the next person to come in and occupy the seat. I just don't, I just, I just don't think it's right. I have less trouble with that than I do with the provincial or federal endorsement because municipal to me is supposed to be very independent. It's supposed to be a different type of government. 
Which is why I always have difficulty. It most certainly is. Well, no, but which is why I have more difficulty with people who are clearly, um, what's the word I'm looking for, tied to a party of any stripe. It It makes it more difficult for me. I would like them to be fiercely independent. And again, everyone has their points of view. I agree on that. I agree on that because a lot of them are a lot of them are u- flat out using that as the entry point with the desire to move into different levels of and government. We've and we've seen that with seen lots it, of people. We've seen that of happen all over political and over stripes. And over of and all over political again. stripes, and some people go into it with that intention. Some people decide once they get there. It's I I, I would like to naively believe that it could be independent. Anyway. The Scott Radley Show. Weekday evenings from 6 to 8 on 900 CHML.